Some time ago, I wrote an article for our Shabiba website uh, about uh, why Jesus have to die. And in that article, I try to explain the work of Christ to redeem us. Later on, I received an angry mail from a lady in Algeria accusing me of blasphemy and also that I gave an importance to mankind more than they deserve and that God is too great to sacrifice his own son for our sake. I replied back trying to explain to her that we are precious in God's sight and that he loves us so much. But I started to think again that how many people around us believe that they are not important? Uh, People are feeling that they are left alone to struggle in a cruel world. Uh, People who are in fear of the future and of the uncertainty that this future uh, may bring. Do you pass through situations like this? Well, if the answer is yes, well, the book of Ruth is for you. It offers (coughs) lots of answers to many questions that we may think of. The book of Ruth, it's a, a small book, only four chapters, in total of 85 verses, it's very easy to miss it in the midst of uh, the Old Testament. <clears throat> the book of Ruth, as you may have found it, uh, came after uh, the great uh, prophet Moses and the Torah of him, uh, the five books that we know, uh, and then the book of uh, Joshua. Uh, we know also that he was a great leader. And then we have the judges. Uh, those who have achieved victory for Israel. And then you have the book of Ruth. After the book of Ruth, you have the history of the great kings of Israel and the great prophets who prophesied. But uh, the book of Ruth is a very important book too. Why? Because it talks about ordinary people, people like yourselves, people like me, Some uh, call it uh, the book of love story, and we will see that later on. Others, they talk about a book of friendship. But uh, with all certainty, it's a book that contains a big message, the message of God in a short story. God in his sovereign grace and in his providence stoops down to history to reveal himself and to offer salvation. Most uh, commentators agree that Samuel the prophet is the one who wrote the book of Ruth. And uh, therefore, uh, with, uh, uh, with that in mind, let us just dip into uh, this uh, chapter, chapter one. I would like to share with you, as always, three points uh, dividing that passage. Uh, to help you to identify the main uh, headings for this. So we have, (coughs) excuse me, uh, verses 1 to 5, that is multiple difficulties. 
verses 6 to 18 going to major decisions, and then verse 19 to 22, uh, I call it uh, melancholic debates. So let's start looking at uh, verses 1 to 5, multiple difficulties. It's, it's a wonderful story, and I don't want to spoil it by just dividing it in, in such a way, but it will help us as we go through it. The place of the book reveals to us the historical background in a specific period in the life of God's people. Verse 1 tells us that it was during the time of the judges, when the judges ruled. The judges, they are appointed men to judge between people in disputed matters. Many of them were not good, and uh, there was no king in Israel to lead the people or to be the role model for them. And looking, if you turn the page to the previous book, the book of Judges, at the last verse of that uh, book, you would read in verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Total chaos, huh? Total chaos. And uh, perhaps you can identify with that nowadays. You have fake news uh, left, right, and center. You have different ways of, uh, of uh, looking and interpreting uh, things. You have what they call it now, my truth, as if there is no something called absolute truth. There is my truth versus your truth. People are doing what it seems right in their own eyes. Does this sound familiar? The right becomes wrong, and the wrong is right. Therefore, there was corruption and immorality, and they were the rule, not the exception. You just have to read through the book of Judges and to see atrocities after atrocities. And as a result of sin, as a result of breaking God's rules, breaking the commandment, there was a famine in the land of Israel. God is not in the midst. And uh, just uh, to highlight this fact that uh, you would have to turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28 to see the treaties, uh, the covenant that God has set with the people uh, uh, of Israel, the blessings and the curses, blessings and multiplication and peace if they followed God's commandment and curses and calamities as a result of rebellion. So here, uh, Samuel, the author of uh, the, uh, the book, uh, focus our attention to Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Ironic that the house of bread has no bread. Hmm. There was a difficulty there because God was not adding his blessings. And then from Bethlehem, uh, the divine uh, camera would zoom in into a family, an ordinary family from the houses of Bethlehem. And we are introduced to this family, the man by the name of Alimelech. His name means, my God is king. His wife, Naomi. Her name means the pleasant one. Their two sons by the name of Mahlon, and Kelions. 
are difficult names to translate, but basically uh, the, their, the, the meaning of their names is tired and sickly. What kind of parents who would call their sons tired and sickly? I don't know. But here we have the whole family decided to leave the land, uh, to leave the promised land, to leave God's people and go to another place. The one whose name, uh, my God is king, does not trust that his king will provide for his needs. What about Jehovah Jireh? What about the God who supplies all our needs? Did he turn to God to ask for an answer to this problem? Did he uh, consult with him or with God's people to see what they should do? No. No. Perhaps he has uh, uh, decided that as a house, uh, the head of the house, he has to uh, provide for his family, and this was his way of providing for them. Perhaps he was responding to the complaint of the pleasant one, his wife, and saying to him that there is no food here. Perhaps he was worried about his two sons in their condition, tired and sickness uh, and sickly, uh, to be able to say that perhaps another place will be suitable for them. What do you do when you face difficulties? Do you turn to God in the secret place and pour your hearts before him? Or do you choose your decisions based on what you see fit? Maybe it is God's way of putting you in such a tough spot to draw your attention to something that you need to turn away from. Perhaps it's God's way to draw your attention uh, to a sin in your life that you need to confess, that you need to repent from. Do you listen to him? Do you accept his salvation? Do you uh, run away from him? Maybe you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe God is using these tough spots you are in to draw your attention. We heard this morning that there is no other name is given to us that we can be saved apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can give you peace in your heart. How do you take your decisions as a Christian? Uh, do you follow the biblical principles? Do you know God's thoughts through reading his Bible, his word? Uh, in your prayers, do you get this sense of peace as the Holy Spirit administer peace to the right decision to take? Do you take the counsel of uh, Christian brothers and sisters around you whom you know that they have uh, a good relationship with, with the Lord and they can give you sound advice? What did Ali Malek do? He lifted his head. He found the land of Moab uh, is fertile. Well, it seems like the grass is always greener on the other side. And uh, he decided to travel with his wife and his two sons to live as a stranger in this land. The Bible gives us uh, a little glimpses about the people of Moab. In the book of Numbers, chapter 25, verses 1 to 3, it says this, Now Israel remained in uh, Akakia Grove, 
uh, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Pur, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. What do you expect when you leave the uh, land where God is ruling there and you go to other lands where God is no longer the God that people worship? You have to follow after the other uh, uh, gods there unless you are like Daniel. As a result of that, we hear of uh, the death of Alimalek. Now, what is the decision that Naomi is going to do? Will she go back to Israel to be uh, comforted by the people of God? No. The two boys fix the roots in Moab by getting married to two Moabite women. And although there are a lot of biblical warning against that, as we see in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 3, that the offspring uh, of those who are uh, born to Moabite uh, women, that they will be forbidden from going to the tent of uh, meeting for 10 generations. Well, there are an advice here for young people, for you to be careful from having intimate relationships with those who are not believers. The Bible tells us, can two walk together unless they agree? Then the two boys die, and Naomi is left alone without a husband, without her two sons. And that is the most dreadful thing for a widow to have. Nobody to defend her, Nobody to care for her. She lost with, uh, with these uh, beloved people who passed away, lost the hope of blessings, of multiplication, of uh, a, a big family to carry the name. I think King Solomon, when he read the history of his family, uh, wrote this wise proverb, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. But let me ask, do you feel like Naomi, in some ways, stripped out of your security, of your peace, uh, of someone who's uh, uh, your protector uh, from family and friends? Have you gone through uh, a path and you find it blocked and dead, has a dead end at the end? Well, this is not the end. The story moves on to verses 6 to 18, major decisions. We read that Naomi decided to go home. There is no reason to keep her strange in Moab. The future that she was dreaming of with her husband and her two sons have wasted away. It's not good to be alone there without a protection in a strange country. I remember... When we got engaged, Joan and I, we went to Egypt uh, to see the family. And uh, as a foreigner in Egypt, I had to be with her all the time uh, to protect her from any exploitation, from getting lost, from, uh, from uh, being alone uh, in a strange land. 
And uh, so Naomi, with her two daughters-in-law, uh, decided to go back to the land of Judah, uh, to go back to a fa familiar territories, because she heard that the Lord has visited his people. Verse 6 uh, gives us the fact that it is God always, always, without exception, who moves first. God is the God who takes initiatives. God is the one who visited his people to give them rain, to grow crops. God is the one who gives them light, to give them food, to give them life. And God is the one who sent news to Naomi to tell her uh, that, uh, come home, there is food in Bethlehem. And today, God the Father has given us heavenly bread. John, uh, in his gospel, uh, writes to us to tell us about the declaration that Jesus made in John 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus came to give us life, to give us life to the full. I was reading uh, the biography of uh, Lillian Trusher, uh, um, an American missionary who came to Egypt uh, to work with, uh, uh, with the orphaned there, and she started uh, an orphanage in the city of Asyut in the south. And uh, as uh, the number of the orphan children increased, the burden financially on her increased too. Until one day, her assistant came to her and said, no food in the stores anymore. And she said, all right, uh, set the children around the table as usual. And she went and prayed, God, you said you are our provider. You know the situation. We have nothing. We trust you. We thank you. And uh, she went and spoke with the children, and she said, we need to thank God for the food. And the children looked around, well, food, what food? <laughs> the plates are empty. And suddenly uh, they heard uh, a knocking on the door. And uh, guess what? There was uh, uh, a van full of milk broke down just in front of the orphanage. And the driver came asking in hopeless tone and said, do you think you can use any of the milk and the products I have? They will be ruined in the heat of the day. And Lillian Trusher smiled and she said, we were, we were waiting for you. Come in. Isn't that wonderful that God will provide for all our needs? What about the future? Do you think about that? Where is the future going to uh, be uh, like? What life is going to take you to be uh, uh, in what shape or form? Uh, uh, and, or perhaps you are far away and you feel that you have drifted away from God and from his people and from your Savior for a time. But it's actually that time is to call you back. Come home. Come to the shepherd of the sheep who will make you to lay down in green pasture, who will make you to be satisfied uh, with his providence again. So at verse 8, Naomi decided to go back. 
she decided to go back alone. Perhaps because of her love to her two daughters-in-law, she didn't want to take them to a strange land. Uh, it's uh, the reverse culture shock. Perhaps she knew what does it mean to be a stranger in Moab. She didn't want Orpah and Ruth to have the same. Or perhaps she didn't want to uh, be responsible for them. Or maybe she didn't want to remember the loved one that she lost every time she looks at the two widows. So she asked each one of them, of the two girls, to go back to her mother's house and to her own gods. And she gave them uh, a reason for that. She said that there is no hope for me, even if I have uh, uh, married today, and even if I have given birth to two sons today, will you wait? We notice here that both women, Orpah and Ruth, heard what Naomi's logic is. And in the beginning, they said, we will come with you. We love you and we will be with you. We will return to your land with you. But after a bit of consideration, uh, Orpah saw the problem of the reality. I don't want to be on my own. I don't want to be in a strange land. Uh, so she decided to go back. Orpah looked at the reality, but Ruth looked at the God of providence. She decided to continue. I wonder when we call ourselves Christians, have we considered the cost uh, of following Christ? Have we considered uh, that we might need to sacrifice our uh, our comfort, our temporary comfort for a while to gain eternity. I found Spurgeon very helpful in his commentary on verse 14 uh, about Orpah uh, kissing her mother-in-law and returning back. He, he said, it is one thing to love the ways of the Lord when all is fair and quite another to hold to them in the face of discouragements and difficulties. The kiss of outward profession is very cheap and easy, but the practical clinging to the Lord, which must show itself in holy devotion to truth and holiness, is no small matter. Is no small matter. Anyway, Naomi tried to convince Ruth uh, to follow the example of Orpah, and Ruth said to her, Do not, do not. Do that. Do not discuss it with me. Entreat me not to leave you, she said. Naomi said to her, go back. And Ruth answered, I am coming with you. Go back to your people, Naomi said. Ruth said to her, your people shall be my people. Naomi said, go back to your gods. Ruth answered, your God is my God and Jehovah is witness. And that is faith. So when we ask ourselves, what is faith exactly in Christ? Well, faith is the trust of the unseen based on what we already reveal to us and what we already know about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Well, let me give an example. Uh, an interesting story about a Frenchman by the name of Blondin. In the 1850s, he traveled to uh, the U.S. and uh, he was uh, 
a man who liked to do dangerous things, so he stretched a, a rope between the two sides of Niagara Fall and decided to cross the falls on a rope. And uh, uh, attracted this attempt attracted many people. And he did it. And people were really, really excited about this man who could walk with ease on the rope. And one time he said, do you believe that I can uh, carry a chair with me to the other side? And people shouted with excitement, yes, you can. So he did. He took a chair and walked through and came back, uh, crossed the Niagara Falls and came back. And uh, uh, he said once again, I am going to take a wheelbarrow on the, on the, on the, on the rope. Would you trust that I, will, I can be able to do that? And uh, people said, yes, you can. Yes, you can. So he did it. He actually fried an egg on a little stove. He took it uh, and stood in the middle of Niagara Falls. And people were getting really excited and mad about that man. And then last time he said, right, I need a volunteer. Do you trust that I can take you to the other side? And there was silence. Faith is not just a shout of we will do it. Faith must be activated and it is not in words only. So she said, I will come with you to be with your people. She, Ruth trusted in the God of Naomi and Elimelech. She uh, was truly a believer. And we will see the result of the testimony of the neighbors when they said to Naomi about Ruth, your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons. God did not forget Naomi, but provided for her the way to go back uh, in the person of Ruth. In his providence, he did not allow her to go on her own, but to find someone that will be her companion. God always provides opportunities. And perhaps he is providing you a Christian to help you out right now to come back uh, to the fold. Or perhaps he's allowing you to be here tonight to listen uh, to that message that you need to be reconciled with God through faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you take this chance? Or perhaps God is pointing to you that you are that faithful friend, that you are this Ruth character to help someone else who's struggling or someone else who is not uh, yet a believer. Will you uh, consider that to be a blessing to someone else. Well, we have seen uh, disobedience of Elimelech and his family to leave the land, uh, the promised land, and to go uh, to be strangers in Moab. Uh, we see Naomi uh, becoming without a husband or no children uh, as well. But God in his mercy provided her a way uh, and this way is with um, Ruth. And now we come to the last uh, point, which is melancholic debates. Naomi came back, verses 19 to 22, to Bethlehem. And the whole town was stirred because of her return. 
uh, the neighbors were wondering, could that be Naomi? Is that Naomi, the woman, the woman we knew her some time ago, the one, the one who is called the uh, pleasant one? She doesn't look someone who has a good time. She looks worn out. Perhaps people were expecting that she will come back uh, with her husband and children and grandchildren and cattle and uh, sheep and so on. Uh, but she came uh, with one person and a stranger uh, to them, uh, a woman uh, of Moabitess uh, background. Well, when you look at the story of Naomi, you would have to see the subject of love and faithfulness of God there. What they call it in Hebrew, chaseth, is a loving kindness that God has protected Naomi through the years of being uh, away from his people, that he provided for her to come back home. Uh, that uh, in verse 1 we see, we see a famine in the land. In verse 22, we see a harvest about to start. God has the answer to our difficulties. God is not, is not moved uh, in agitation because it's too difficult, our questions are. But actually hear him saying in the book of Joel uh, to his people, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten you remember the parable that of the prodigal son? That young man who went out uh, from his father's house uh, with his pockets full of uh, money from his father's wealth. And after his um, adventures uh, came to an end, he decided to come back. He was not sure if the father would accept him. He repented on his dealings. And the Bible tells us, uh, this wonderful uh, um, fact that when he was still far away, the father saw him, recognized him, ran to him, although he was dirty, smelly, and he embraced him and kissed him, received him with joy, and uh, had, had a feast because this is what he said, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. God is faithful. His arms are always open to us to receive us back, to give us new hope, new answers, not just only in the physical realms, but also spiritual realms as well. He will give us inner peace. He will give us that security and that assurance that he's leading us. He's caring for us. He's providing for us. That, that sense that I am not alone, he is with me. One would expect when Naomi go, goes back to her uh, uh, people, to Bethlehem, she would be like the prodigal son saying, oh, I have made a mistake. Uh, but uh, she asked people to call her Mara, bitter. She started to debate with the, re with the neighbors about the reason which made her feel that uh, her life God has made it very bitter. You could hear Naomi when she was going back saying uh, these questions. Why, Lord? Why me? Am I the only one who made some bad decisions? Why do I have to uh, forfeit my husband and two, uh, two sons? Why would I have uh, to suffer all that suffering? 
Have you ever uttered these words? I do from time to time. Why, Lord? Why these difficulties we have? Why COVID? Why sickness and illness? Why this and why that? But you see, the story of Naomi, it's not a story of God's punishing a family because they failed spiritually to obey him. But it's a story of providence, a story of redemption that God has designed from the from even beginning of the creation. Could Naomi uh, have imagined that uh, when she was coming back to Bethlehem, that her going to Moab will bring back a new believer is Ruth? Could Naomi have expected that through Ruth, she will be the great-grandmother of King David, and that through the offspring of Ruth will come the savior of the world? Apostle Paul in Galatians 4, uh, they said these, these words. He said, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as son. So what is providence? What do we understand by it in here? Well, a helpful uh, definition here. Uh, the providence is the governance of God by which he, with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things in the universe for his glory and for the benefit of his people. God's governance uh, uh, with wisdom and love. He cares for and directs all things in the universe for his glory and for the benefit of his people. Three weeks ago in the uh, state of Kentucky, um, a tornado had ripped the whole state. And three days ago, there was uh, a video emerged, was published on the BBC about the story uh, of uh, the rescue of two infants. Their grandmother, when uh, she heard about the tornado, she wrapped them uh, in towels and uh, hid them in a bathtub. And uh, next to them, there was a Bible. And she said, may God protect you. And when the tornado hit, uh, it devastated and decimated the house and ripped the bathtub from the house and the bathtub landed in the garden. And when the rescuers came, they found the two infants safe and untouched. And you could hear in the video uh, the grandmother uh, screaming with a loud voice, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord, for protecting the infants. Paul I will end with these words in Romans 8, very well-known to, words to us in verse 28. He says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. May the Lord help us to trust him and to look forward to 2022 uh, with providence and uh, uh, guidance as well. The Lord bless you. Amen.